The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. Last Sunday we began to follow the story of the search for a wife for Isaac. Abraham had determined, and I believe all the evidence suggests it was very clearly under the leading of God, that Abraham would send his senior servant to get a bride. For Isaac. From among the member of Abraham, members of Abraham's family who had remained in Haran 50 or 60 years earlier. And last week's portion of the story concluded with Rebecca inviting the servant to come home to meet her family. And so we pick up the story this week in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 28. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother called Laban, named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought in for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. The food was then set before him and he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and he's become wealthy. He has given me sheep. Uh, given him sheep and cattle, gold and silver, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife Sarah bore him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master has made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for me, my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I now live, but go to the far, my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked faithfully will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if when you go to my clan they refuse to give her to you. Then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord God, Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will give, please grant success on the journey, uh, to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside the spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one that the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out in her jar, with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered the jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered my camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom Milka bore to him. Then I put the ring on her nose, in her nose and, and the uh, bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and I worshipped the Lord. 
I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get my granddaughters to sorry to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> now if you show now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so that I may know which way to turn. As I reflected on the story this morning, I see unfolding in the story a truth that I've actually seen being espoused in our service this morning. I love it when I'm getting up to speak and I'm going, it's almost redundant because I see God answering the prayer on my heart as I prepare. It speaks to a truth that's been so evident in this last week in my emails and texts and Facebook feeds in the last few days since Dad's passing. People I have not connected with in more than 30 years, some 50, some I've never met. But the moment I see a name or hear a voice, there is a sense of connection, shared memories. And they tell of the impact that my dad had in their lives. There's this group that were my mum and dad's youth group. Mum and dad were the youth group leaders about the time that my sister and I were starting school. I think at times we were referred to as the mascots. Many of those are now in their 70s and 80s. But it's so clear the impact that my mum and dad had had in their lives for so long. And while many of them had a real sense of a heart connection, there is something that just goes deeper than just the memories. As well as those contacts from folk who are part of mum and dad's youth group, there are others who, like Warren and Sandra, come from my days back at the Salvation Army up on Don Buck Road when we were pastors there. And uh, sometimes for weeks at a time, sometimes for months at a time, mum and dad would park their motorhome out the front of the church. And so even for Warren, who's a couple of years older than me, my mum and dad became nana and granddad. And so there was this depth of connection and it just goes beyond the norm. Then at the rest home last Wednesday, we had, last Wednesday, no, it would have been last Tuesday because it was the day Dad passed and we'd arrived back at the funeral home at the, sorry, at the rest home for the funeral director who was coming to pick up uh, Dad's body. Lovely young man, his name was Lazarus, and I thought, <laughs> not this time, not this time. We laughed at his name, he laughed at his name, and we realised that we were, we were the family of God. He was a brother who 12 months ago was working in the office at Church Unlimited, and he was now the funeral director coming to pick up my dad's body. And there was a connection. There was a connection. Then a little bit later on that afternoon, Margaret and I were clearing out dad's room, and there's a nurse comes in, and she starts talking about my dad. And then the connection was made that we too are people of faith and then her whole face lit up and a mask came off and we had this wonderful sense of connection that goes beyond, oh, I've talked with your dad. There was something deeper. And there is something deeper because, see, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. Mark 3, 35, Jesus says, 
Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see, Abraham's servant was just that. He was just a servant, he was, but he was a senior servant, but still just a servant. But now he is being welcomed like family. In our Western culture, we've become so focused on the individual. A, few, a couple of generations back, we talked about a nuclear family, and we talked about the extended family, but we do that less and less now because the whole family thing is being broken down in so many ways, sometimes by neglect and sometimes, I believe, by an intentional engineering of our culture. So there was a time when marriage was till death do us part. But today it tends to be the only thing that really matters is while it still works for me, that's good. When it no longer works for me, we are relationships, we move on. And we tend to allow church sometimes to be like that. So I see that if you ask me my two top gifts, one is encourager and the other is administrator. That's not doing paperwork, that's organising, creating organisations and organisational structures and systems that work. So I know the value of the organisational relationships and having them functioning well. But if it stops at that, that's not what God intended church to be. It's family. I think of when Paul talks about all the things he'd suffered, how he had been shipwrecked and beaten and stoned. And that that long list of suffering, most of us would have been dead on the ground and said, can it get any worse? Paul says, yes, it does get worse because there is a burden that I feel for the church. Who sins and I don't? Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? Do we feel the pain of others? And I'm going, yeah, I think we do because we've just shared that this morning. When one hurts, all parts weep with them. When one rejoices, all parts rejoice together. See, the, the church is far more than just an organisational thing. We have the saying that blood is thicker than water. And usually what we mean is family relationships are most important. They're more important than any others. The problem being is I've often wondered about that for many, many years. And fortunately, these days we have Google and we can actually do a bit of research. And I discovered that's not the original statement. The original statement is that the blood of the covenant is stronger than the water of the womb. It's completely the other way around. Completely the other way around. makes sense when you think about it. And this often goes very counter to what we say and think. But while human family is for this life, God's family is eternal. It's not about lowering the value of family in this life. It's about raising the understanding of the value of the family of God 
in this life and in the next. You know, the highest of human relationships is marriage. And Jesus says at the beginning, God of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And yet in Mark 12, he says, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they will be like the angels in heaven. In death, in the resurrection, we will be reunited with our loved ones. And we will also be reunited with the entire family of God from all time and all generations. Not just one flesh, but fully one in Christ. And I remember being told one day that eternity doesn't start the day you die. Eternity starts right now. Eternity is forever, and eternity is in every dynamic and every dimension of life. So right now we are one with the entire family of God throughout human history. Maybe it was a small town that I grew up in growing up in Gisborne. Population of 30,000. Church, probably 100, 120 people, I guess. Established families. But I grew up knowing that church was about family. Many years later, Margaret and I had met in Hamilton, where she lived, and we got married, and we'd become pastors, and we were living in Wellington. We had three preschoolers, and Margaret's younger brother passed away just a few days before his 28th birthday. When word came through, we hopped in the car, we drove quickly back to Hamilton. And on the Sunday we went to church and I was shocked at how many people said, so sorry for your loss. That didn't worry me, I was ready for that. But we didn't expect to see you here this morning. And I'm thinking, where else would I be? Do you understand how much we're hurting right now? Why would we not want to be in the presence of the Father and in the presence of our family? And then I realised that for so many churches, just the, the club we go to, the organisation we go to, the social gathering we have, and then we go home until next Sunday. But that's not church as I knew it. John says to all who received him he gave and who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children of God that is what we are we are brothers and sisters in Christ in a very real sense our marriages should reflect the greater reality of the church as the bride of Christ forget about all the marriage debate out there today it's not about a human institution. Marriage is a reflection of Christ and his bride. And our marriages should reflect something of that glory. Likewise, our earthly families should reflect and prepare us for the greater family 
that we are part of, both here and now and for eternity. I've seen good Christian families that are very insular, and for me that's not a good Christian family. See, my dad taught to give generously, to live for others. We're told in 1 Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I like that little note. And we live such busy lives, and I've really been committed in my time here at the church not to create busyness in church life because I want people to have time to spend in relationship with one another and with the communities that God has planted them in. And sometimes it's not about doing other stuff, sometimes it's about the way we live. And if you had a look at the chapel website, go to the chapel in Te Aratu, the chapel.org.nz, go to the page of the table, and there's a place there you can check out 59 different one another's from Scripture. Ways in which we are to live differently in our relationships with one another. In Galatians we're told, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the family of believers. And I like this quote from Mother Teresa. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And I'm hearing that more and more every Sunday. And that encourages me. Even the way we do evangelism and discipleship changes when we realise that we're not looking for people to join our club or to tick a box or to sign a statement of belief. The gospel story is all about relationships. It's about reconciliation to the Father. One of those beautiful chapters in the Bible, I think, is Luke 15, where Jesus tells the story of a man who's lost a sheep and a woman who's lost a coin and then a father whose son has wandered far from him. And the overarching message is there is a God who stands waiting and ready to welcome his lost sons home. One of the things I know some of us have been praying and Beth, you spoke into it the other day about God bringing back some of those from the past. Well, my heart was... Did my heart good yesterday, just talking to some of the women who were here with Māori Women's Welfare League and some of them who uh, came to rally here in years gone by. Some, and I'm not sure the connection, but one of the families talked about having their kids, the girls, sung here in years gone by. You know, there's a lot of connection, a lot of opportunity. And the Father waits to welcome Not new members, but he waits to welcome sons and daughters home. And so when Jesus is training his disciples, equipping them to go and to gather the bride, he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. 
Not get them to tick a box so I can move to the next house. When you enter a home, say peace. In fact, given the fact that it's a Jewish context, I figure what you did, you walked into the home and you went, Shalom. And if there's a person of peace, they would respond and welcome you. And if they welcome your blessing and they welcome you, stay and eat and drink. You know, many of you, the stories you've shared, the people you've encountered, was it David at the hospital? I think Babs was talking about. Um, you have those conversations and you're given an opportunity for them to invite you to come closer, to connect, to talk further. Don't rush through and rush on. Take an opportunity to receive whatever welcome they will give. You'll know when it's time to move on, but don't rush it. Why? Because this is about relationship. It's not about adding names to a list. This is about welcoming others into the family of God, gathering the bride of Christ. You see, even on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 were added after Peter preached that amazing message, the next six verses detail relationship and community. And Abraham's servant is not just looking for a wife, for Isaac. Because no matter what your intentions are, when you get married, you do not marry the wife. You marry the wife and all her family and all her family history and all her family networks. And this wife was like her mother-in-law, Sarah, to become the mother of successive generations of the people of promise. Relationship is so important. And in terms of evangelism and discipleship, instead of adding new people to the church, relationship, relationship, making disciples, bringing people into the family, opens the door for multiplying the kingdom of God into multiple families for generations. My dad came to faith because he went to stay with my uncle, who was a man of faith. And my dad, my dad learnt from that. And his life was changed. And the impact through the generations is unmistakable. And then the day will come when we will leave this life. And we're told that the king will say to those on his left, sorry, on those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, him, answer them, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? 
And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. It struck me as I read that this week. The righteous didn't do these for a reward. In fact, the king says, they said to the king, when did we see you like that? When did we do that? They don't do these things because they seek a reward, but because they are the right things to do. Because they are in right relationship with the Father. And through him, they are in right relationship with those who are around him. When you're in right relationship with the Father and with his family, it shows. Abraham sent his servant on a search and God has sent an angel ahead to prepare the way and to guarantee success. As you go out into the world this week, keep looking for and praying for opportunities to speak and to live the kingdom into relationships old and new. To those who are already part of the family and those to whom the Holy Spirit is already speaking and preparing their hearts. Remember, it's all about relationship. First with the Father and then with those that God sends us to. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.